0: Good
1: afternoon and welcome. It's time for our Tuesday strategy panel, and I'm really starting to feel that the federal election is very close. It's been almost a week since Ethics Commissioner Mario Dion ruled that Prime Minister Justin Trudeau broke the law in his handling of the SNC-Lavalin affair. There was a lot of talk and chatter for a few days. We saw competing hashtags on Twitter, one Hashtag Trudeau must go versus hashtag I stand with Trudeau. But does the story really have legs and will it be a factor in the vote? We'd like to hear from you. The numbers 416-360-0740, toll free 1-866-740-4740. Let's start our panel off there. I'm here with Karen Stintz, CEO of Variety Village and a former Toronto City Councillor, John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner at Fleischmann-Hillard High Road, and Charles Bird, Managing Principal of Ernst Clip Strategy Group in Toronto. Welcome. Thanks for being with us. Oh, Thanks for having us. Here. Okay, let us start with the liberal view. Charles, does that story have legs?
2: Uh, what story? I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> about. Um, I think... Obviously, last week's announcement by the Ethics Commissioner uh, was uh, kind of out of the blue, um, but Canadians have had a lot of time to process this story since it first broke really January, February of this year. We had the Justice Committee, the House of Common Standing Committee on Justice, which did hours and hours of testimony from the likes of the former Minister of Justice and Attorney General and the former Principal Secretary to the Prime Minister and the former clerk of the Privy Council, and I think Canadians had a good opportunity to digest the gist of what the issues were. And I think if you're inclined to not like Prime Minister Trudeau, then chances are last week's announcement reinforced those views. And if you're inclined to stand with the Prime Minister, then chances are you found fault in the review, or at the very least came to the conclusion that if the Prime Minister did transgress, he did so in an effort to protect Canadian jobs. So my sense is the fact that you're asking, does this story have legs, suggests to me that it probably doesn't.
1: Karen, would you agree with that? And uh, there's also uh, the issue that you know a lot of people felt that at least the prime minister should have offered an apology and he seems to be good at offering apologies for things he had absolutely nothing to yeah. do with and, yeah i think that's actually where the story lies for people it's just he's a
3: serial apologizer he's apologized for everything under the sun that happened for the last 120 years surely to goodness he can say you know what this was my intention my if it was indeed his intention my intention was to save jobs i did i didn't do it the right way i i apologize for canadians But, you know, he ran on a platform of doing government differently, and he's done it exactly the same, if not worse than any conservative government could have possibly imagined. And so that's where I think the story is for voters. Like, who is this guy? Who is this guy who finds it easy to apologize on behalf of sins that were committed for on, on any indiscretion you can imagine? And yet when he's actually at fault and it's not a question of whether he's at fault. He was actually found to be at fault.
1: For the second time. For the
3: second time. His intentions aside, what he did was wrong. And I think for Canadians, they we're left with, I don't even understand what this, what is this guy all about? And that becomes a big issue in an election, because it's about character now.
1: What is this guy really about? You know, that is the line that the Conservatives are taking. That's that's their one of their campaign slogans, uh, not as advertised. Um,
4: well, and there's a reason why Libby. I think that the Conservatives are using that not as advertised line because it's been polling probably quite strongly for the for the Conservatives, um, because he he was big on winning about honesty and changing government and being transparent and being all of this that that he thought Stephen Harper was uh, wasn't. So the fact that he's come out and he's the only Prime Minister now to be to be um, looked at, transgressed the ethics rules twice now. The only Prime Minister to be able to do that is a big deal. And I think you know Charles says that you know people have, have baked baked decision on this based on the fact that this was happening months ago. Uh, the difference this is that back then it was, you know, Judy Jody R- rolson Rabel's word. It was, you know, Jane Philpott's word. It was everybody else's word. This was a third party independent uh, commissioner who found the prime minister to, to have transgressed the rules. That's the difference here. And I think the, the, the reason why this is going to be important is because it speaks to the narrative, the overall narrative, Justin Trudeau, which I think the conservatives are going to jump on and hopefully the other two, the other parties will as well, They'll The NDP doesn't doesn't seem to be picking up any steam at all on this issue. Um, But the other issue I think that that should worry the Liberals and Justin Trudeau is the fact that this now gives, uh, I think, credible claim for Andrew Scheer to go and ask for the RCMP to investigate this, given the findings that were in the Commission's report.
1: He's Just a minute. He's, He's asked for the RCMP. I mean, the fact is that, you know, politicians can't order an RCMP investigation. There is a bit of, you know, theatrics in that the RCMP uh, presumably makes its own decision.
2: Um, yeah, that's that's absolutely right. And there's some suggestion that the RCMP did interview the former Attorney General and Solicitor General some months ago. And yes. I think if um, And
1: she wasn't, uh, would you say, forthcoming about that?
2: uh, Well, she certainly leaned on cabinet confidentiality, and she's no stranger to that particular tactic. But um, the gist of it is... What's really at issue here is a fundamental question that former Cabinet Minister Anne McClellan has been charged to look into, which goes to the dual nature of the role of the Minister of Justice and Attorney General. As Attorney General, there are very specific responsibilities dealing with law enforcement, but as Minister of Justice, you are expected to be a member of the Cabinet around the Cabinet table, having discussions that Cabinet Ministers have. And so the fundamental question is, if Ministers are intervening with the Minister of Justice and Solicitor General as they did with Ms. Wilson-Raybould. What is an appropriate degree of intervention? For instance, was it appropriate for the Prime Minister and his ministers to say to Ms. Wilson-Raybould, have you given adequate thought to the concept of a deferred prosecution agreement? And that occurs to me and to many Canadians as being a perfectly legitimate question that does not interfere with the process, but rather seeks to ensure that all options have been considered.
1: Yeah, but there's a difference between asking the question mm-hmm. and badgering. But b- before we move on to the other panelists, do you think that Justin Trudeau is vulnerable on that note? Hey, uh, this guy is not as advertised.
2: That's for Canadians to decide whether that's an effective line. I mean, the Conservatives in 2015 and more recently tried, oh, just not ready and never ready and that sort of thing. And those ads seem to have disappeared. So they're trying something new. And we'll see if this works. If it works, they'll probably stick with it. And if it doesn't, they'll move on to something else because they'll just desperately cast about trying to find something that sticks.
1: Now, I have not seen any polling that was taken after the release of this. Has any Either, um, any of
4: you there 's a couple of polls that show that there 's a bit of an uptake in it not not as, not as probably as great as the conservatives would have, would have thought, but I also think that there 's still some some polling that 's happening as we speak and, and I think it t- does take a couple of days for it to settle into Canadians and, and whatnot. So I think you're going to see a bit of a, a, a poll adjustment on this that, that'll be favorable to the Conservatives. And the reason why the Liberals should be troubled by this is that it was SNC-Lavalin at the beginning that caused the Liberals to tank in the polls uh, over the last over the last couple of months uh, with respect to uh, to what happened and, and all the stuff that happened with respect to Jody and, and, and others. But they sort of, they kind of recovered over the summer because it was off the, off the, the front pages. But this just puts it back in the front pages. And I think it reminds Canadians, and certainly those who are, are with the prime minister, are not going to be phased by this. But there's a huge amount of voters that are in the middle, that that are still looking and still trying to, you know, kick the tires and whether or not Justin Trudeau deserves another re-election or not. It's those Canadians I think that are going to sit back and realize and say, you know what. The commissioner now has found this person to be transgressing the law. So there's an issue there, I think, that they need to be worried about because it's going to be coming up again. And as you saw, Andrew shear has been on this for the last four days in the media. Uh, and the media are talking about it. We're talking about it. So we, we, it's out there.
1: We are talking about it. But does Andrew Shear is, is he prime ministerial to you, Karen? Well, it's, you know. That time will tell, and that's
3: why elections are important. But I I do think that Trudeau is vulnerable—not so much on the ethics charge, but the fact that he he has not controlled his narrative for a long time. Since the SNC Lavalin scandal broke, he hasn't really been in control of his own story around what his government is doing for Canadians. He has been on the defensive. Then he now he's running this campaign against Doug Ford, and fundamentally, when Canadians go to the polls, they will ask themselves, "Okay, what?" What did Trudeau do? And that's where I think the problem will lie for him and his party. What has he actually done? The pipeline's not resolved to anybody's knowledge. There's all outstanding, the Canadians are still being held in China. We have a, a, a war, you know, we have an upset with China. We have the free trade agreement hasn't been signed. There's a lot of things that actually haven't been done. And yet and there's all this swirl. And so I think those are the sorts of things that he's going to have to resolve and resolve quickly. Otherwise, Andrew Scheer could get elected by default.
1: Uh, My understanding of the way the tea leaves are read is that in order for the conservatives to win, you need a fairly strong NDP, and it looks like they're collapsing.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's early days, even though we're less than 10 weeks away from election day, it's still early days. Campaigns matter. And the other thing to remember is that no opposition leader ever has a chance of becoming prime minister until the exact moment they become prime minister. And that's been true of a number of them over the years. But at the same time, I noticed Andrew Scheer confronting um, Prime Minister Trudeau in New Brunswick recently. And and as somebody who's been involved in uh, politics and campaigns for a long time, that struck me is really not only high risk, but but verging on desperate, whether they're doing that to sort of craft a, a future ad. Uh, re- or
1: re- remind like. me. Uh... This is
2: at, at a recent event. Um, the uh, Andrew Scheer went directly up to Justin Trudeau in a crowd situation celebrating Acadian Day in New Brunswick and basically called him a liar um, for but... the apparent attempt, apparently to try to get the exchange on camera. And the prime minister Turned to Mr. Shear with a brig. Big smile and said, "Isn't it a beautiful day?" Mm-hmm. And just walked away. And um, and that kind of thing really that that struck me as odd.
4: Hmm. Well, it, it Charles, you are an, a, a, an expert in, in campaigning, and you know that it's campaign season. And when you have an opportunity to actually confront the prime minister and be able to say to him, you know, you should be telling Canadians the truth uh, on, on this issue, I think um, does does speak of a bit of campaign uh, sloganeering and and whatnot. But mo- more importantly, though, I think with of the NDP, um, it is troubling the fact that they only have about half their candidates nominated. Uh, and we're in a sort of the mid to late August uh, time period, with, with, which means we're weeks away from an election call from the writ being dropped uh, officially. Uh, that's a troubling sign for the NDP. But I also think that the Green Party are actually on the rise. And in some polls, it shows the two of them are actually neck and neck.
1: But isn't that, isn't that bad news for you?
4: Well, it can be, you know, in certain writings, I think the NDP being strong, certainly when I ran for office in 2004 and 2006, um, the NDP were were just on the rise and I think it was election after where Jack Layton be, you know, sort of surged and, and our, our writing actually went conservative because of that. Uh, so there's no question that the NDP being strong takes away a lot of the progressive votes and certainly from the Liberals. Um, but I think the Green Party are going to be playing a very active role in, in this election. I think they're going to be quite frankly doing better than the NDP in some ways. Uh, and the two combined, I think, will uh, will still be good news for the Conservatives.
1: Okay, let's take a couple of calls. We've got Bill in Bracebridge. Hi, Bill.
5: Well, it's sad that uh, the narrative is, will this affect the election? We've just accepted the fact that the Trude- Trudeau is a criminal, and his, his government, they're all criminals, right?
1: Well, I, I, I don't know. That's, uh, that's uh, taking it a little bit further than no, it no, was. Seriously,
5: I mean, you say two times he's violated the ethics code? I mean, if I did that in my private business, I'd be, you know, I, I wouldn't have a job anymore. But I think it's more like five times you've got LeBlanc out there who's appointing just...
1: What well, we're talking about when the no, no, rulings no, of no, the Ethics no, no, Commission... Yeah,
5: that's what your narrative is. Is it going to affect the election? My narrative is, do you really want to elect, uh, elect a bunch of corrupt uh, criminals? <laughs> Morneau, LeBlanc... Uh, Vanderbilt, she's on the Ethics Commission, and she's actually been found in violation of, of, of the ethics code. I mean, so is it going to affect the election, or do Canadians just want to accept corrupt governments?
1: Well, okay, Bill, I think, I think we know where you stand. Thanks well, for yeah, your... And
5: Libby, how do you vote? You always ask everybody <laughs> how everybody else votes. How do you vote?
1: Uh, you know what? I, I have always voted differently. Uh, I <laughs> no, have right. no particular no, right. partisan yeah. thing. It depends on the situation. And I usually vote against somebody as, or, uh, as opposed to for it. So, uh. Which that's,
4: is generally how yeah, governments yeah, is, are actually yeah. elected, or they're actually elected because they actually throw the other guys out more than anything else. But, so, but I think I'm the not a supporter,
1: and 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 Bill, who we talk to quite often, he's a conservative. He, no, so, <laughs> no, I mean, and not that there's border, anything wrong with that, but but uh, so that's the way. That's the way I vote, which is uh, every which way. Yeah.
4: Well, and I think Bill taps into the frustration, I think, that, that the reason why I believe that this issue is going to be uh, an important issue for, uh, for the Conservatives and certainly going to be a, a troubling issue for the, for the Liberals because there is that frustration to say, you know what, we elected him on, based on certain uh, issues that we believed he was about and this is not the case, which is why I think the tagline that the Conservatives are using, not as advertised, is going to work or and is working.
1: Okay, uh, let's go to Bob and Thank Barry. Hey, Bob. Oh, yes. Hey, Libby, thanks for taking my call.
6: You're welcome. Um, I, I guess I'm becoming frustrated with one thing, and it's the fact that everybody keeps saying he's doing it, including himself saying it, I did it to save jobs for Canadians. It's been proven two to three times that no job losses were even considered. They, The company Lavalin had $30 billion worth of construction jobs ahead of them that they hadn't even touched yet. There was they never talk about the grant of one point four billion dollars given to Lavalin with a contract saying they have to stay in Canada 2024, and if they don't they have to pay that money back. I mean it's it's ludicrous how all he's doing is confusing the issue. There was no jobs ever to be lost. And if the company's breaking the law, there's plenty of other engineering companies of the same stamina that can take over for them. It's simply the prime minister trying to give take care of one of his buddies.
1: Okay, Bob. Thank you for that.
3: Yeah, I think okay. Bob has a point because there was even the um, at one point the president and CEO of SNC Lavalin came out and said, "No, no, no. There's no jobs at risk." You know, so contradicting yeah. what the prime minister had said. And from everything that we can see, there's there's still there's still they have to go to court. They're still being charged. They haven't had any. Um, And there's no job losses being announced. So I I think he's absolutely correct that that whether that was Trudeau's story, whether he believed that or whether he was just helping out his constituent in a Quebec company, you know, but but I don't think the jobs were actually really the issue.
1: Well, you know, um, the ethics commissioner's report for me, you know, the details of the coziness of Mm -hmm. the relationship, uh, between SNC lavalin and the government and the fact that you had a couple of retired Supreme Court justices in there giving opinions and the former clerk of the Privy Council. It was, it was all quite cute. Though, you know, you read a lot of say in the Globe and Mail and editorial basically, you know, saying, you know, this as a scandal, uh, it's kind of doesn't quite hit the mark. Nobody got paid off.
3: Well, I think it does speak, though, yeah. uh, my vantage point, it speaks to the cultural shift that is occurring when you do have a cabinet made up of 50 percent women up against the established, mm. the establishment. Yeah. And uh, I think John Ibbotson wrote about that, that yeah. this was, you know, a group of women who held different views and expressed their views strongly against an establishment that was largely white male. And this is the kind of friction that I think is actually really healthy uh, when you're talking about how politics is evolving in the modern era.
4: And Karen makes an ex- a very interesting point with respect to the women's side of it, because when you look at the, the ones that were affected, Jody and, and, yeah. and, and Jane, and, and certainly the other candidates who, who felt that they're not going to run again as a result of what happened with Cessna C. it takes away from his feminist moniker, the fact that he calls himself a self-proclaimed feminist. Uh, and that's a huge hit on his brand. And again, it speaks to the narrative that we're seeing over and over again for the last last three and a half years, which I think is going to come to play when the election gets, uh, gets started. Do
1: you think so, Charles? I mean, it, it has hurt his feminist cred. And then there was also the issue that that people were trying to slur and and defame Jody Wilson-Raybould in the course of this.
2: You know, it, it's it's hard to know what to make of this particular situation. I, I honestly believe that Miss Wilson-Raybould had alternatives um, before her. She could have raised her concerns a lot earlier with the Prime Minister if she felt she was being unduly pressured. For whatever reason, she did not. Uh, the Prime Minister went to great lengths to try to find some form of reconciliation with his former minister to try to bring her back into the fold that unfortunately did not pan out, despite weeks and weeks of effort, ongoing, repeated discussions. So, at the end of the day, I think the the prime minister did everything in his power to to try to make things right. And unfortunately, for whatever reasons, it was it just wasn't in the cards.
1: Speaking of women, let's hear from Marita in Guelph. Hi, Marita.
7: Oh, hi. Yes, I. Just have a comment I believe that uh, this really should be an election issue and an apology from mr. Trudeau is going to be absolutely meaningless from this arrogant narcissist <laughs> and we are in a ridiculous deficit he is uh, his largesse with taxpayers money is beyond belief And anybody who still considers voting for this man really needs to give their heads a shake.
1: Uh, Marita, have you ever voted liberal? Pardon me? Have you ever voted liberal?
7: Yes, I have. And I've actually also voted NDP at one time.
1: Was it a long time ago?
7: (laughs) I I believe, uh, you know, the way this man was uh, brought up with a silver spoon in his mouth, he doesn't know right from wrong. And in fact, he feels that uh, he's so perfect that um he never does anything wrong anyway it's uh, an apology is absolutely meaningless the the only job that he's trying to save is his
1: okay marita thanks for that uh she makes an interesting point do you, do you think that people resent Justin Trudeau uh, as a kind of class thing because he is a, a very privileged trust fund baby?
2: I, I don't think so. But I do know it's something that the Conservative Party is, is very actively trying to play up. And it's unfortunate because the Prime Minister has actually had a very diverse background as a teacher, uh, as an outdoors person, as someone who's always been committed to charitable work, and has a remarkably diverse background. And um, And to try to hold that against him, to try to suggest that he's a, a playboy or a child of leisure, just doesn't mesh with the reality of, of his upbringing. I mean, he made a conscious decision um, throughout much of his young adulthood to not quite leave the Trudeau name behind, but to go out and find his own path. And I think it served him extremely well in terms of his life experience, his ability to connect with ordinary Canadians um, in all parts of the country. And uh, the results speak for themselves.
4: I, Livy, I would say this. I think. I think from the perspective, I'm not sure the conservatives are playing that up as much as they are playing up the fact that Andrew Scheer comes from humble beginnings and humble roots, and the fact that he you know lived on a street corner in Ottawa, and his parents were were both uh, nine to five worker, normal workers. I think. I think that that there's a there's a narrative to be. He, to he be,
1: might be pushing. I mean, he was definitely middle class.
4: Well, but but still, and I and, think I think the key thing yeah. here is not whether or not you're rich or not. It's how can you connect with Canadians, right? And I think and the American Americans They celebrate success and you could be a trillionaire, a billionaire like Donald Trump or whoever and run for office. And that's a celebrated thing, whereas in Canada, not so much. But I think here what really resonates is not whether or not you're rich or not, but it's can you connect with Canadians at a level that they want you to connect as a prime minister of Canada?
1: And and Karen, can Andrew Scheer connect?
3: I, I'm not sure he's making that connection as of yet. I think he's doing his, his level best. And I I, I think... I mean, my observation is part of his strategy is just to let Trudeau blow himself up, as opposed to him actually doing anything to get out and connect with the average Canadian. I, I could be wrong on that. I don't know. He but.
1: just he just made an announcement today about parental leave yep. and making it. Tax free, and I'm thinking, is he trying to get? Excuse me, a younger demographic because because you know, and probably uh, that female vote that he thinks is
3: vulnerable now because of the way Trudeau has behaved against his cabinet ministers, potentially, potentially. Um, But you know, I I think that there's still not a good sense of what Andrew Shear is all about. Um, But there is a, I think, an increasingly. Of stronger opinion might be polarized about what Trudeau is all about, and I, I think that there, it's either very positive or very ne- negative I think that the the middle ground of where Trudeau is is has shrunk significantly
1: uh, let's kind of move along to another election related issue, and that is the election commission coming out and saying that climate change could be a partisan issue because of Maxime Bernier, and because of that third parties that want to take out ads advocating a certain climate change stand, uh, uh, you have to register. What do you make of that, Charles?
2: It's uh, it's a messy, messy situation. I mean, you could just as easily substitute health care for climate change. Exactly. And the suggestion is that third-party organizations can't speak to these sorts of things. But let's remember that it was Stephen Harper and the Conservatives in 2012 who tried to clamp down on um, various third-party organizations, environmental groups, calling them a menace and a threat to Canada. And so what we're seeing are, unfortunately, the reverberations of that. But it's, it's very difficult difficult. difficult to talk about something as proven and as clear as climate change, where there exists an enormous international consensus and say, okay, you're no longer able to talk about this because it's partisan. But it's it's an election.
1: Like, isn't yeah. every issue partisan during an election? Uh, you make a very interesting <laughs> point. And, <laughs> and the really weird stuff about this is that, uh, so th- the election commission is saying this, and, and it's because of Maxime Bernier, who denies that climate change is a man-made thing. And he's mm-hmm. come out, he's a, an extreme free speecher. He's come out and said, no problem, let those people talk. Let them, let them put out ads about the environment.
4: Yeah, I don't know what to make of this either. I think it's an interesting decision and, and, um, you know, and I think Maxine Bernier sort of, you know, gets his 15 minutes of fame Mm -hmm. in in the press as a result of it and and gets the airtime that he so desperately needs. Um, But, uh, you know, election campaigns, as Karen says, you know, I think all things are are on the table uh, and they should be. It should be up to Canadians to decide, um, you know, what works, what doesn't work, quite frankly. But I also think, too, from a debate perspective, um, third parties have been around for a long, long time. And there's, there's a reason why there are rules now that are be more strict against third parties and third party advertising. And, and, and that's because um, as much as free speech is, is allowed and, and, and uh, celebrated, um, there are certain groups and organizations that have unfair advantages. And I think what they're trying to do is ensure that if there are third party groups out there, that they're all playing from the same level playing field.
3: But, but we have third party advertising around
1: vaccination and vaccine deniers and I well, actually we, think but for, we finally I, I mean uh, I remember the the big yeah. billboard and, and it was it taken was taken down, down but it,
3: I think it was taken down not because of um, I, th- I think yes it was, just, it was. It, I know it was taken down but yeah. I I, I don't remember why it was taken down. Whether it was taken ruled, down
1: after... after
3: people a, complained about it. Big complaints, yeah. Yeah, and so I think whoever it was just decided, whoever owned that yeah, billboard it, decided to remove that right, ad. Right, but
1: that was a private thing. This is Correct. the Elections Correct.
3: Commission. And, and so and, if we're going to make a ruling on anything, I would argue it would be those things that are actually detrimental to public health or public safety mm-hmm. that you would limit third-party advertising or third-party um, and call them out of the realm of the debatable topics. But climate change? That's a strange thing to pick.
2: Uh-huh. It, I'm... Uh, I don't want to lose sight of the forest because of the trees yeah. here. And you mentioned Maxime Bernier earlier, the People's Party had a conference this past weekend wherein the leader and a number of his key supporters made reference to Islamist infiltration of our political system. Of course, this allegation is put forward without any names, any substantiation whatsoever as if to cast a pall, not only on our political system and our political parties, but also on Muslims who are Canadians, who live quite peaceably, who contribute enormously to our society. And this is really, really concerning. This is a man in Maxime Bernier, who came within a handful of votes of leading the Conservative Party of Canada. And what we're seeing out of him is is very similar to what we're hearing south of the border, which is absolutely frightening.
1: Well, I mean... And there's a reason so why he's it, no
2: longer a
4: Conservative.
1: He's no longer a Conservative. And and uh, as of now, uh, he's not being included in the debate yeah. because the feeling is that he, he won't get elected. He won't get a seat. Yeah. And that's, I think, a right decision. I think it
4: is, too. Yeah. I think there has to be some level of criteria or some level of, of, of being able to sort of get onto that debate stage, not just because you've sort of formed your own party. You decided that you're going to have that. You're going to have to believe that you have some proof that you can win a seat or two. And he hasn't been able to prove that.
7: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Let's hear from Sam in Toronto. Hi, Sam.
8: Hey, Libby, how are you? Fine, how are Uh, you? Well, you guys changed the topic, so I'm going to be irrelevant.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You're never irrelevant, Sam. You're never irrelevant. It's it's all about the election.
8: Yeah, well, you know, I'm an independent, so, uh, you know, I I dislike uh, all parties uh, equally. But uh, my point, uh, like, when it comes to corporate uh, power, whether it's judicial process or political process, uh, I think this whole thing about uh, Trudeau, not that I like the guy, when it comes to you know, lot, a lot of identity politics and pandering and everything else. But in this in this point, like the point he's making about SNC and his reasoning, it makes sense and is legit. And then it comes to, you know, the whole point is about influence over judicial system, you know. Uh, but uh, Tories are king of influence by corporate world, you know, when it comes to lobbying and everything else. So, you know. I mean, they're throwing stones from glass houses, you know. And uh, uh, what I'm trying to say, I didn't vote for Trudeau. I probably won't. And, uh, but, but you bottom think line he's is okay that, on know, this. They're not, they're not exactly, you know, a saint themselves. So when it comes to okay. corporate issues, uh,
1: right? we, we, we get your point. Thanks, Sam. Yeah. 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 There's okay. a
3: cynicism. There's no question. I think, in for politics in general, and unfortunately, the SNC-Lavalin scandal, or whatever you want to call it, I think reinforces some of that cynicism across the board, no matter what your political leanings
4: And I, and I think Justin Trudeau tapped into that, Three and a half years ago or or four years ago, I think he tapped into that cynicism and and sort of got him elected from, you know, from third parties to to, to being to being the prime minister. And I think that's where his biggest challenge is, is that that's the reason why he got he got elected. And I think if he would have kept that for the last three, four, you know, four years, he probably would have been reelected without much of a much of a campaign this time around. But the fact that the polls show that it's a tight race is because Canadians have soured on that. And people like Sam have seen the cynicism and are like, I'm not likely to vote for him again because of that. And you I know, think there's a lot of Canadians that feel that same way. Just
1: a minute. This is going to be by way of a, a wrap up. Uh, time flies when you're having fun, but we're running out of time on this. So we'll start with Charles.
2: Just just to that point, if if John or Karen say something with which I fundamentally disagree, I will probably make a point of saying, I disagree. Yeah. And here's why I disagree. and what i won't do is turn to them and say you're a liar mm. and unfortunately our political discourse is going more and more in that direction because it's driven by social media it's driven by increasing differences in our society we saw andrew sheer doing that to justin trudeau just this past weekend and it doesn't bode well for our political system and it may be that some degree of a return to civility what the prime minister aspirationally called "sunny ways" in 2015 is something we all desperately need, and, and which other jurisdictions need as well. Otherwise, we're going to see the rise of increasingly strident and bullheaded individuals who are "my way is the door, my way or the doorway," and uh, what I say goes, and there's no room for discussion and compromise and brokerage.
3: Yeah, there's some elections, I think, um, you know, we're heading out of summer. There's some elections, like the mayoral election, you pretty much know who's going to be mayor by Labor Day. All right. And even with the premier, like with the last election in Ontario, you kind of knew the outcome. I mean, it was a little up and down with the NDP and the Conservatives, but you pretty much knew. I think this election is going to be interesting, because I don't think anything has been settled yet, despite what the polls might be moving up or down. I think that the next 10 weeks are going to be very interesting to watch.
4: I would agree. I think it's going to be tight. I think the polls reflect it. I think the Canadians that I've talked to across, uh, across this country have, have sort of are, are reflective of that. It's going to come down to certain provinces and certain ridings uh, where one may flip the other and it could be a difference between a, min- a minority government either conservative or liberal or a majority government either conservative or liberal based on how that breaks. And then the NDP and the green factor are going to, be, are going to play a role as well in this election. Which we've never seen before.
1: Okay. Well, um, I'm sure we'll be talking about it Uh, possibly as early as next week's Tuesday strategy panel. Thank you so much, Karen Stintz. Thank you. John Capobianco and Charles Bird. Appreciate it. My favorite part of the week. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, Yes.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio, heard weekdays from noon to one.